welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Eric. I'm the office manager here with Awaken. Um, every Sunday, we kind of begin the gathering with a call to worship. Um, it's just an opportunity to kind of center ourselves, prepare ourselves for um, what's in store today. Um, and this Sunday, we are gathering on kind of the eve of a big moment for Awaken. Um, we're a couple days out from an ECC meeting where there's going to be a vote on whether Awaken it remains part of the ECC denomination and all that happens after that. And whether you're here this morning with enthusiasm for that meeting or nervousness about that meeting or maybe just indifference about what may or may not happen, I just wanted to take a moment to reflect and hold some space for the journey that this community has been on. Um, so I want to share a quote with you that I have been holding as I have reflected on the upcoming meeting, but more so as I have reflected on this community um, of Awaken. Um, and so this quote comes from one of my favorite stories, and it's from a character who's in kind of a similar position on the eve of a struggle, um, a struggle they have every opportunity to run away from, and they choose not to. They choose to stand. And they're asked this question of, why would you choose to stay when you could run? Why would you choose to stand when you know you can't win? And this is their response. Winning, is that what you think it's about? I'm not trying to win. I'm not doing this because I want to beat someone or because I hate someone or because I want to blame someone. It's not because it's fun and it's certainly not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right, because it's decent, and above all, it's kind. It's just that, just kind. If I run away today, good people will get hurt. If I stand, some of them might not. Maybe not many, maybe not for long. You know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best that I can do, and so I'm going to do it, and I will stand here doing it till it kills me. Because who I am is where I stand. Where I stand is where I fall. So why not, in the end, just be kind? Good to see you all. We made it back. Um, for those of you who are new to Awaken, my name's Micah. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, recent, recently returned from our world travels to Spain and... Um, Man, what a trip. I, uh, you know, you come back from a big experience like that, and people are like, how'd it go? And you're like, it was great. You know, and, and that that's to, tries to encapsulate two weeks of memories and all kinds of things. So it was really, really, really beautiful to be out there with my family. And, um, you know, like any, any trip, it has ups and downs, moments of glory and moments of like, are you serious? Is this actually happening right now? Um, so uh, it was wonderful. So glad to be back. Um, a couple things before we jump in. If you are new to our community, we'd love to know that you are with us. So in the seat pockets in front of you there or online, there's an I'm new button. You can click that, fill that out, let us know you're with us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice, um, which is on us. We can get to know you, you can get to know us. And if uh, Awaken's a good fit and home for this season of your journey, then saddle up, partner, pick them up, more hitchhikers. Um, if not... Blessings on your way. Um, there are a few things happening. Um, oh, uh, if you have tithes and offerings that you've brought, um, 
we're so grateful for, for your investment in our community. I don't know if you've been paying attention to like updates that have been coming related to finances and um, just the generosity of Awaken astounds me um, over and over and over again. So those of you who are participating in that, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've got big hopes and dreams for this next year. So um, lots of ways you can give online as well as um, in the boxes at each of the exits. A um, couple things happening. Today there is a pack and play event. For those of you parents in the room, um, maybe you know what a pack and play is. You don't need one to go to this event. It's just like uh, hang out at the park uh, at Palace over here a couple blocks away. Um, that's still on unless like a giant thunderstorm ruins those plans. So you can meet at Palace uh, after the second hour and bring some lunch and hang out with people. There is a Guess Who's Coming to Dinner event, another one. Uh, the first one was a smashing success. Lots of people participated, so Kathy's doing it again. The event is July the 26th. We are still looking for hosts for that. It's kind of a summer version, so um, uh, patio time uh, would, be, would be great if, if the weather permits. So if you're interested in hosting, you can sign up until June 26th, uh, and both of those are online. So if you want to host or you want to register, that is open and available online at Awaken Community. WakenWest7th.com. Um, there is, uh, this week, as Eric mentioned, if you were here for the call to worship, uh, big, big news in, our, in the life of our church on Thursday, uh, the annual meeting of the covenant begins, and so on Wednesday, prior to that, uh, we'd like to host uh, just a time to be together in, in prayer uh, on Zoom. So um, if you're interested in that, uh, the link will be um, in the Awaken Weekly, or you can um, reach out to Jenna at AwakenWest7th for that link. Uh, and that'll be at 8 p.m. on June 28th, Wednesday night. And then finally, next week um, is July 4th weekend. We'll be in the park. We will not be here. So uh, Highland Park Pavilion's just up the way off of Jefferson Avenue there by the golf course and the Frisbee golf. Excuse me, disc golf. Sorry. Evidently, that's a big deal for, for, for disc golfers. It's not Frisbees we're throwing, friends. So it's right up there, and that will be at 10.30. So we'll have a gathering. Um, I'll report a little bit of our experience at the annual meeting. Uh, we'll be together, which will be sweet. We'll sing and um, bring a lunch uh, for a picnic for that. Sound good? Okay. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. We will conclude this morning a series that we have been in for the last eight weeks called Iterations. And if you've been with us... Um, you remember that uh, we are looking at the different iterations of God's people in Scripture. So my contention is that in the Bible, there are uh, a group of people through whom God intends to show God's self to the world, through whom uh, God intends to reveal and work and uh, manifest themselves to the world, right? That's God's people. And no matter where you pick up the story, there's always a version of that. There's an iteration of that. And so we've looked at those, starting at Adam and Eve in the garden, and Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham, Abram, then Abraham. We looked at Jacob uh, wrestling with the angel. We've looked at the beginning of the Exodus story in Exodus 2, where God sees and hears and remembers and knows the people and their cry. We've looked at the pillar of cloud and fire that God leads the people through uh, in the Exodus story. Uh, the, the period of the judges where the people are needing help to, to kind of find their way and God provides these judges. Uh, we looked at the kings when they ask, we need a king, we want a king in that period of time. And then la last time I preached, which was a couple weeks ago, we looked at um, the people in exile in Babylon. 
This morning, we're going to turn our attention. We're going to sort of skip ahead about 450 years or so. Because if you remember at the end of the Old Testament, when the people are in exile, they come back to Jerusalem. They come back to uh, the city, and they're there. But then there's about 400 years of silence. The last prophet, Malachi, um, offers his word to the people. And then it's quiet for 400 years. And out of those 400 years of silence comes the birth of Jesus and the gospel story of Jesus being born in Nazareth, or in Bethlehem, from Nazareth. And Jesus, of course, lives his life, does his whole thing in the Gospels, dies and is resurrected, and then ascends back to the place from which he came. If you remember Paul in Philippians chapter 2, right? Jesus doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but lays that down to become a servant, to become humble, and dies uh, on a cross, is buried and resurrected and vindicated, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father, right? And at that point in the book of Acts, we get a whole new story, a whole new beginning, a whole new redefinition of what does it mean to be God's people. And the spirit being given to the church at the moment we celebrate and call Pentecost, right, in Acts chapter 2. And then the book of Acts is really a story about them working that out. And so we're going to join in that. We're going to sort of hop in in chapter 15 at a real critical moment, which is kind of the the culmination of... um, Something that I want to explore today, so we'll get to that in just a little bit, but Al, if you wouldn't mind uh, coming and reading, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1, so if you can turn there, and if you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the text, and then we'll see what the Spirit doesn't have for us today. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute, in debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You were to abstain from foods sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Pray with me if you would. 
God, as we gather this morning as your church, um, or a church who claims to bear the name of Jesus, um, and we hear this story, this moment in our history, uh, I'm reminded of just how important and what a big deal this was. And I pray that as we consider what it means to be your church in 2023, uh, in this moment, that your spirit's voice would be clear, that it would be strong, that it would be resonant, and that we as a community would have ears to hear it and eyes to see you and hearts uh, soft enough to respond to your leading, that we would have the courage to follow your spirit where it leads. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit and the church said together, amen. You may be seated. Um, this is such a fascinating passage. Like, I don't know if you ever think about um, what it would have been like to be there in that moment, you know. They have this conversation. So all these people are gathered. You've got Jews. You've got Gentiles. You've got people who are coming to know the story of Jesus and are converting to the way of Jesus. And this group of people, the Pharisees, stand up and they say, you know what, um, hang on here just a moment, right? There's a whole bunch of us who've had to be circumcised in order to participate in this thing, and we just think it would be fair if that's across the board, right? That like some folks wouldn't have to get to skirt around that fun experience. And the Gentiles in the room are like, whoa, hang on here, right? Like, uh... So there's this tension of like, do they have to do this thing that everybody has had to do, and should we or shouldn't we? And you got people arguing that we should, and people arguing that we shouldn't. And, um, and so the church is in a bit of a pickle, a sticky wicket, as my grandpa used to say. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at, uh, this is a pivotal moment in the scriptures as it relates to God's people, right? This, uh, this term that's been so important in this series, because uh, Acts 2 is a, a, a complete redefinition of what it means to be God's people uh, in this moment that we call Pentecost. Uh, the Spirit of God is given to God's people, and we get this kind of what used to be a tribal and ethnic identity is now an identity rooted and centered around the person and life and teachings of Jesus, and then is sort of uh, witnessed by or confirmed by the presence of the Spirit of God, which is now given not only to, not to one place, right, in the temple, the, uh, uh, the Shekinah glory of God in the temple, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. No, God's Spirit is sent out into the world, into the believer now, and that's the confirmation of, like, this is, this is a person who is understood and is participating in this way of Jesus. So the book of Acts is, a, is an interesting journey in a number of ways, but it chronicles the early church's wrestling with what it means to be God's people in this new way. Um, one of the interesting parts of this book is that, and we're going to focus our time and energy on it today, is that when the Spirit, um, it, we see the Spirit inviting the church, the people of God, to go beyond the boundaries that had been previously set. And we're going to explore a couple of different ways that we see that, a couple of different passages where we see that. And I want to suggest that this puts us in, in, a, in a really important place, uh, wrestling with a really important question. And that question is, how do we read the Bible? How do we interpret this book? Um, I hope to show that as we look at these moments when the Spirit is leading and inviting the people of God to go beyond where they have been previously, 
it, it, it invites us to consider, like, what's the nature of this book? And how do we interpret it? How do we read it? How is it, what, what, what role does it play in our community? And I think that as we, you know, get towards closing this up, I hope that you'll be able to start see the, uh, the threads that we're trying to tie together on this day, in this moment, for us as a church. So, um, that's what I want to do. We're going to look at uh, three different pl- places where the Spirit invites the church beyond the boundaries that would have been previously established. And then we're going to look at, I want to remind us of this important like hermeneutical idea. Uh, if, you've, if you're new to Awaken, this may be new to you, but if you've been around for a while, this may be a reminder to you. But it informs how we as a community hold this text. And then I want to close with uh, a question about story and what kind of story we're living in. So, Let's look at this, uh, these three examples from the book of Acts. The first one is uh, Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Um, this is a story that maybe some of you are familiar with. It's uh, often known as Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, and uh, essentially, it goes like this. Uh, the apostle Philip is led from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Gaza is along the coast on the Mediterranean. So he's led down this road by the Spirit, and along the way he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch, right? Ethiopia being from Africa, a eunuch being, well, look it up on Google. No, don't. Uh, uh, what would one say about a eunuch? Um, someone who, uh, well, you know, I don't need to do this. And kids are in the room. So he's, he's, he's an Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip runs across this guy. He's in a chariot. You guys are waiting for me to go there. And you're just like, this is going to be really fun. <laughs> uh, he runs across this guy. He's in a chariot. He's a person of, of, of wealth. Uh, he has a scroll of Isaiah, which is very uncommon, and he's reading it. And Philip asks him, uh, and this is really a, a story about who's included, in, this, in the story, right? Philip uh, is led to sort of stay near the chariot, and he strikes up a conversation with this guy, and um, he asks this question. He says, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, well, well, no. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And so Pete, Philip hops up in the chariot, and he begins to decipher, decode, what the prophet Isaiah has said, which was, of course, prophesying about the person of Jesus and the good news of the gospel of God uh, uh, being incarnated in the person of Jesus. So he shares the whole story of Jesus' life and teachings and death and resurrection. And the, the, Ethiopian, uh, or the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he says, yeah, let's do this, right? He's in. Uh, and, and as they're going along, he sees some water, and he asks this question, which is a stunning question. He says, um, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? To Philip, who is a good Jewish boy, um, of which the answer to that question is, well, a lot of things actually would have stood in the way of you being included previously. You're not a Jew. You are a eunuch, of which are excluded in much of the Old Testament um, law. We get some interesting uh, talk from the prophets, specifically Isaiah, about eunuchs and the place in which God intends to to give them in the kingdom, which actually contradicts what the law previously said. But there's all kinds of reasons why Philip could have said, well, there's a lot of things that would keep you from being included in this story. But Philip has a moment of, uh, 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 he's at a crossroads, he's at a a sort of crucible moment where it it would appear that the spirit of God, which has been given to this new people of God, is inviting Philip beyond the boundaries that they were previously established about who's included in this story. And the Ethiopian says, what keeps me, what would keep me from being baptized? And Philip, I'm filling in a lot of details here, I'm sort of mid but 
eventually says, well, nothing. And so he baptizes him. And it turns out that an African sexual minority, an Ethiopian eunuch, becomes the first conversion and baptism in the story of God in the book of Acts. Which should tell us something about how and, and, uh, or, or the way in which God's spirit is moving in this story. So that's the first story, the first example. Acts chapter 8. The second example is Acts chapter 10, if you flip forward a couple of chapters. This is a story about Peter and a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman, and Peter has a vision that he's invited to go to this person, uh, this, this Roman centurion, this Gentile centurion, Cornelius' house, and he's invited to eat meat that has been, that is unclean. Right? So if, if you don't know anything about Jewish dietary law in the book of Leviticus and then again in Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's a bunch of laws about what is kosher and not kosher, right? what they can eat as Jews and what they can't eat as Jews, how it should be prepared and what can't be cooked with what. Right? It's a whole law system about, dietary, uh, about diet. And if you're a good law-abiding Jew, you would, you would uh, like Peter, you would not have eaten these things, right? And so his response in the vision is, no, surely I would not eat meat sacrifice items or, or meat that's unclean. And the Spirit says, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Later in his defense of this experience, in chapter 11, he writes this. He says, um, he's defending himself in a, to a group of people who are questioning what he did. And he says this. He says, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them to go to Cornelius' house, the house of a Gentile, something you don't do, okay? These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how the angel, uh, how an angel appeared in his house and said, send to Joppa for Simon. So the same vision given to, to Simon and Cornelius. And he says, he... Peter will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God, he's speaking to these people who are criticizing him and asking him to defend himself, he says, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the moment, who was I to think I could stand in God's way. Yet again, another moment where for Peter, the answer is clear. You don't eat meat that's unclean. That's not kosher. It's against scripture. It's against the Bible. What God has declared for the Jewish people, right? The law. You're to abide by it. And the Spirit seems to be inviting Peter beyond the boundaries that had been previously set by God for the people of God. What's Peter to do? How's he to discern? How's he to interpret and understand? Do I say yes to this? Do I keep going? Do we? And he says, who am I to stand in God's way? It would appear that the same spirit that's been given to us, the Jews, has now been given to the Gentiles, and so we follow it. Second example. We got the Ethiopian eunuch, we got Peter and Cornelius, and then we have Acts chapter 15. And so the whole story of Acts is this kind of uh, this happening over and over again. And in our story, this is a question about what's the sign of the covenant, right? This people of God. The Spirit's out in front of the apostles, moving beyond who were included. The Spirit's out in front, changing the rules about what's kosher and what's not kosher, what's dietary laws. And in this passage, the very symbol of the covenant with God and his people is challenged and changed. 
Previously, to be included in the covenant people of God, circumcision was the sign. So you either had to be circumcised as a male or be under the covering of, under the household of, a male who was, in order to be included in the people of God. And this is a big deal. Like, punishable by death if you weren't, right? This is like what the scriptures say. And here the apostles are seeing uncircumcised Gentiles converting to the way of Jesus and showing the evidence of God's spirit, which contradicts what they would have known as the law. So, they have this conversation in Acts 15, which is just fantastic. They, de- they debate, they're like, well, what should we do here? I don't know. And their response is they write a letter to the Gentile believers. And that was the last part that we read. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. That's their, that's their reasoning. Like, well, here's what we're going to do. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. You would do well to avoid a couple of things. Don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and abstain from sexual immorality, right? You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. (laughs) So here are three examples from the book of Acts about the Spirit inviting the newly defined people of God beyond the previous boundaries of Scripture. So what do we do with that? How do we interpret that? As people 2,000 years later who have this book that is in the center of our life as a community of Jesus followers, it presents a bit of a challenge, right? So here I want to change directions a little bit, and I want to remind you or introduce you to an idea that is really, really important when we come to Scripture. And if I could sum it up in one word, I would use the word trajectory, all right? So we have, the, we have God, and we have the Bible, And these two things are not the same. And we would do well to remember that they are not the same. God is immutable. Who can tell me what that word means? Immutable. Theology 101. I heard it here. Kevin, say it louder. Come on. Doesn't change. God and God's character, the very essence of the divine being, is immutable, which means That character is solid. There is no shadow. It's only light. Okay? That's that's good. We run into problems as Christians when we assume or think that the Bible is immutable. So we've been studying these different iterations of God's people. And I would suggest that the Bible is really a, a collection of stories about the redemptive history of God's people. So we've looked at, in our last eight weeks, we've looked at Abram, we looked at uh, Jacob and him wrestling, we looked at the Exodus story in Exodus 2, we looked at the pillar of cloud and fire, right? These are all moments uh, in the Bible of God in, uh, um, interacting with the people of God in redemptive history. We looked at pillar of cloud by fire, we looked at the judges, we looked at kings and the Give us a king, right? We looked at the people in exile a couple of weeks ago. And now we're looking at the book of Acts. And let's not forget, Awaken is on this redemptive history, this story of God's interaction, right? And in each of... So, so one of the things that I want to remind us of is that God and God's character is immutable, unchanging. In God, there is no shadow, there is only light. That's important to remember, When we transfer that idea to Scripture, we run into a whole bunch of problems, including the book of Acts. 
because the scriptures say a bunch of different things about a bunch of different things. So the scripture actually contradicts itself many times along the way about, well, let's talk about, uh, about women and their role in the church, about their role in society, about their ability to uh, participate as full members of the community. Uh, the Bible talks, says different things about war and violence when you get the Old Testament and then you get Jesus. The Bible, there's discrepancies in Scripture. And so if we transfer this idea of God as immutable, unchanging, what, uh, if it, it, it is true, and we transfer that to Scripture, we run into all kinds of problems. And I want to suggest that this immutable, unchanging God interacts with each of these moments as this same unchanging, immutable character, right? Divine being. But the things that are said along the way, which we clearly see in the book of Acts, this is why I'm sh I showed you these examples, right? Previously, it was don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat these unclean things. And then when we get to the book of Acts, what would have been obedience 2,000 years ago is now actually to disobey. If Peter says, no, I can't eat that food, if Peter says, no, I can't go to your house, Cornelius, because you're a Gentile, he would be disobeying the Spirit's invitation. But according to what was said previously, it's obedience. Do you see what I'm saying here? So trajectory is really important in how we read the Bible. And I want to suggest that in Scripture, we find a trajectory along the course of human history where God, the immutable character of the divine, interacts with us along the way and gives us what we need to draw us towards God's ideal. Shalom, what we find in Eden, what we see in Revelation 21. And those interactions and invitations may actually be different along the way. And in fact, they are. If you read the Bible and you're honest with yourself, they are different. What God said to the people in Jacob's time is different and contradictory to what God says to Peter in the book of Acts. So, for us, as a community, this is a really important idea on how we interpret the scriptures. One of the things that I want to invite us to believe and live from and exercise is the possibility that this story is still being written. The Bible, no one's going to add to it, right? It's canonized, it's closed, as it were. We're not going to add to Scripture. But the Spirit of God is still out in the world working and moving and inviting the church and the people of God to follow. And there may be times when we find ourselves being invited beyond where Scripture has left us. And I would invite us to actually have the courage to keep following there's ways that we do that that are wise, and there are ways we could do that that are unwise. But this is a possibility that I want to like say out loud and that we actually have evidence for in Scripture and that we as the church should feel empowered to continue in the path of, in the tradition of the apostles who said, well, this was said to this group of people 2,000 years ago. It's not being said to us now. The Spirit is clearly moving in this direction. There's evidence of God's Spirit and God's presence here, and so who am I to stand in the way of God? Right? When we say that out loud, I don't know if any of you are sweating right now. I am. Because this is, a, this is potentially a, Well, this is tricky. Because we have to interpret. And we have to listen. 
and we have to uh, hear and sense where God's spirit is leading us. And so, um, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm, we're about to go to a meeting on Thursday and stand before a group of people and essentially say this. There is clear evidence of God's spirit to include a group of people who have previously been excluded. And we'd like to invite the church to have the courage to continue to follow the spirit where the spirit is leading. We're convinced of that as a community. And how we got here has, a, has largely to do with hermeneutics and how we hold the text and see the text and read the text. And the book of Acts is one of the main like, uh, building blocks uh, one of the tools in our toolbox that we pull out and say, okay, this is what we see in Acts, this is what we see the Spirit of God doing and how the apostles are responding, and so we feel empowered to continue to do the same, to look around us and say, okay, maybe this was said previously, and yet there is this evidence of God's Spirit that seems very clear. The fruit of the Spirit is present, and so who are we to say the table is only this big? Which leads me to what I want to close with this morning, and it has to do with story. Um, and the question, what story are we living in? Uh, I'm, I'm going to share, I'm going to just read an excerpt from a book that, uh, if I'm being honest, has a lot to do with my family and the experience that we just had um, in Spain. But I think it also has to do with Awaken and the church in general. Uh, as we, ironically enough, as we close out Pride Month in Minneapolis here, and as there is a parade today, um, we're about to head to this meeting and stand with our queer brothers and sisters as a church advocating for full inclusion in the life of our church, to, to have the opportunity to celebrate lifelong commitments and love that exists between people in our church. And I've often thought about the church and the story that the church is writing related to queer people, queer Christians. A group of people who keep saying, you're hurting us. You're harming us. And the church who keeps saying, no, we're not. Because we believe the Bible says something about something. And I, I wonder if we'll ever stop being afraid to follow the Spirit where the Spirit is leading. So this is an excerpt from a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Written by Don Miller. He says this. I got back from Los Angeles, and I got together with my friend Jason, who was a 13-year-old daughter. He was feeling down because he and his wife had found pot in their daughter's closet. She was dating a guy who smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, and why? And why was the question, or the answer Jason hated most? Have her home by 10, he would say. Why, the guy would ask. Jason figured this guy was the reason his daughter was experimenting with drugs. You think about grounding her, I asked, not allowing her to date him? We've tried that, but it's gotten worse. Jason shook his head, and he fidgeted with his fingers on the table. And then I said something that caught his attention. I said his daughter was living a terrible story. What do you mean, he asked. Well, to be honest, I didn't know exactly what I meant. Probably said it because I had returned from the McKee seminar, and I told him some stuff I'd learned, that the elements of a story involve a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And even as I said this, I wasn't sure how it applied to his daughter. Go on, he said. I don't know exactly, but she's just not living a very good story. She's caught up in a bad one. I said a lot of other things, and he kept asking questions. We must have talked for an hour or more just about story and how novels work and why some movies are meaningful and others simply aren't. I didn't think much of it, and I just figured he was curious about movies. 
But a couple months later, I ran into Jason and I asked him about his daughter. She's better, he said to me, smiling. And when I asked why, he told me his family was living a better story. The night after we talked, Jason couldn't sleep. He thought about the story his daughter was living and the role she was playing inside that story. And he realized he hadn't provided a better role for his daughter. He hadn't mapped out a story for his family. And so his daughter had chosen another story, a story in which she was wanted, even if she was only being used. In the absence of a family story, she had chosen a story in which there was risk and adventure, rebellion and independence. She's not a bad girl, my friend said. She just was choosing the best story available to her. I pictured his daughter flipping through the channels of life, as it were, stopping on a story that seemed most compelling at the moment, a story that offered her something, anything, because people can't live without a story, without a role to play. So how did you get her out of it, I asked. I couldn't believe what he told me next. Jason decided to stop yelling at his daughter and instead created a better story to invite her into. He remembered that a story involves a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. I started researching stuff on the internet, he said, and I came across an organization that builds orphanages around the world. And that sounded to me like a pretty good ambition, something that maybe my family could try to do together. It sounded like a good story. Right, I said, I tried to remember the elements of story myself. So I called this organization, he continued. It takes about $25,000 to build one of these orphanages, and the truth is we didn't have the money. We just took out a second mortgage, but I knew if we were going to tell a good story, it would have to involve risk. That's true, I said, remembering it from the seminar. So I went home and I called a family meeting, my friend continued. I didn't tell my wife first, which turns out was a mistake. <laughs> but I told them about this village and about the orphanage and all these terrible things that could happen if these kids don't get an orphanage. And then I told them I agreed to build it. You're kidding me, I said. No, I'm not. And my wife sat there looking at me like I'd lost my mind. My daughter, her eyes were as big as melons, and she was not happy. She knew this would mean she'd have to give up her allowance and who knows what else. And they just sat there in silence. And the longer they sat there, the more I wondered if I'd lost my mind too. I actually think you might have lost your mind, I said, feeling somewhat responsible. Well, maybe so, Jason said, looking away a second with a smile. But it's working. Things are getting really good, Don. Jason went on to explain that his daughter and his wife went back to their separate rooms and neither of them talked to him. His wife was rightly upset that he hadn't mentioned anything to her, but that night, while they were lying in bed, he explained the whole story thing about how they weren't taking risks and weren't helping anybody and how their daughter was losing interest. The next day, he said, Annie came to me while doing dishes. He collected his words and said, Don, things have been tense for the last year and I haven't told you everything, but my wife came to me and put her arms around me leaned her face into the back of my neck and told me that she was proud of me. You're kidding, I said. I'm not. Don, I hadn't heard Annie say anything like that in years. I told her that I was sorry and that I didn't talk to her about it and that I just got excited. She said she forgave me, but bigger mistakes would be made. Or She said she forgave me, but that it didn't matter because we had an orphanage to build and we'd probably make bigger mistakes by building it. And then Rachel came into our bedroom maybe a few days later, and asked if we could go to Mexico. Annie and I just sort of looked at her and didn't know what to say. So then Rachel crawled between us in bed like she did when she was little. She said she could talk about the orphanage to her on her website and maybe people could help. She could take pictures and wanted to go to Mexico and meet the kids. That's incredible, I said. You know what else? Jason said she broke up with her boyfriend last week. She had this picture on her dresser and she took it down and told, and told me that he said she was too fat. Can you believe that? What a jerk. 
A jerk, I agreed. But that's done now, Jason said, shaking his head. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. Sometimes I wonder about the story that the church is writing and why. Um, Sometimes I think about certainty and about being right and how good it makes us feel. And I think about I think about some of our images of God and how so many of us are afraid to get it wrong. We're afraid that God will do something that we're afraid of, and so we don't risk it. And the book of Acts and this story reminds us that while God is immutable, God's invitation to the people of God has changed and evolved over time and will continue to do so. What doesn't change is the character of God and God's hopes and dreams for our world. And together we can discern where the Spirit is leading and follow it. And so to the church gathered this morning, I want to just remind us that there is a story still being written. That God is interested in writing with us, with you, with God's people in the world. And that story is beautiful and compelling and risky and adventurous and may require us to move beyond some of the boundaries that have, been, that have existed as we follow God's spirit. And so on this eve of this week, I felt like this was a fitting moment to pause and stop and listen to what the spirit of God might be saying to us as a community. So may we have ears to hear it and eyes to see it together. Let me offer a word of prayer, and then we're going to make our way to this table, um, which reminds us of a lot about this story. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we pause for a moment and we listen, we do so because to move beyond the certainties that we think we know, to listen to and follow your spirit where it's leading, we desperately need you. On our own, it has been proven that we mess this up all the time in all kinds of different ways. And yet, you seem to be inviting your people on a trajectory towards wholeness and flourishing and shalom and justice and beauty and wonder and awe. And so I pray that as we listen and discern and quiet our hearts and our minds and our bodies, that there would be clarity, that you would continue to lead and guide us. And that we would move when your spirit moves, like the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. That we would follow you where you lead. As we close this morning, we want to invite you to the table. um, And be reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after dinner and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood which will be shed for you. So whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so for thousands of years, the church has been coming to this moment, this table, to be reminded of the story, of the, of the character of God that we can rest in and be sure of. Um, so this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. Those who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before. 
For those of you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come and be fed, be nourished, be filled, to be sent back out into the world as good news. In just a moment, we'll invite you to make your way down the side aisles. Uh, There's gluten-free bread, and we'll invite you to take a piece of that bread and dip it in the cup. There's red wine and there's white grape juice. Before that, if there are kiddos in the room, we'll invite you to come and you'll receive a blessing if you'd like of honey. Uh, And then once that's through, we'll have you come and um, we'll serve you communion. If you, uh, uh, I have a mobile station for communion and so I'll just make my way down the aisle. And if you'd like to receive communion in your seat, if that'd be easier, I'd be happy to, to do that. So let's come to the table together. Yeah, that's a great way to end. Lord, establish the work, the hands of this community, of your church across the globe. And may we be found faithful following your spirit, um, trusting that you're leading and guiding, that your hope, that your, your heart is for wholeness and flourishing for all of creation. May we, we be found doing that work, we pray. Um, go with this blessing, knowing that we will gather again seven days from now, regardless of whatever happens in between, and we'll keep singing that The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.